Welcome to the Your Lender Buddy podcast. This podcast is designed to empower real estate professionals with industry knowledge that they need to succeed. Without further ado, I'll pass it on to Jordan Keck for today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jordan, your lender buddy. And today we're going to be talking about what has been big news. A lot of people have been covering this lately. And that news is what in the world is going on with these bank collapses, having two of the three largest bank collapses in U.S. history happening over the course of a single weekend. And that prior week, seeing a third bank decide to voluntarily liquidate. What's going on? What does this mean for you? What's going to be happening? We're going to break this down here. So if you've been watching my weekly market updates, I touch on this a little bit, but here's where I wanted to go into a deep dive. Personally, I nerd out on this stuff. And the reason is because I want to understand what is happening, why does it happen, and what can you do as a result of it. So if you're like me, you're going to love this episode, getting into a deep dive to really understand what's happening do it in a way where you can explain it to your clients, to people that you know, and just be more confident understanding and not being at the mercy of what other people are telling you. The news, as you may have known, is not a community benefit organization. The headlines that you read online are geared towards getting you to click, getting you to engage. And the best way to do that is to incite fear. My goal is to be able to inform you so that you are empowered to be able to make decisions and communicate what's happening in a way that benefits you, that serves you. So starting off with, what in the world happened? Well, first off, know that there were three banks that were directly involved in this. Those banks were Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, and Signature Bank. All of them start with an S in their name just to make it confusing for you. So what happened? Two of them collapsed and a third decided to voluntarily liquidate. The first one was Silvergate, and they announced on Wednesday, March 8th, that it would voluntarily liquidate. Now, that's not a collapse. The bank was primarily cryptocurrency-focused and decided to wind down due to industry changes and regulatory developments in the sector. So with that, people are still going to get their money, and they're basically closing down their business in an orderly fashion. Think of it that way. The concern about it, though, is because cryptocurrency as a whole has been so volatile in the past. And a lot of these Silicon Valley startup companies, a lot of these prop tech companies, they went pretty heavy into crypto. You may even remember there was a time when Elon Musk with Tesla decided to put very big investments into cryptocurrency. So there's a lot of systematic investment into the sector. When that didn't go well, that really started to hurt these banks who invested very heavily into it. At the same time, when the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates. So when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, that means it's more expensive for companies to lend, for companies to borrow money, to get investments, things like that. And as a result, it tends to hurt startup companies because when they're starting up, they need large amounts of capital. They're usually highly leveraged. And if the cost for that leverage, the cost for that lending is low, they can expand very quickly. As that cost goes up, it means their costs go up. And as a startup, that can be extraordinarily detrimental. So with Silvergate, they were primarily in crypto, but Silicon Valley Bank, which is the first one that really kicked this off, their story has to do not just with crypto, but primarily with these Silicon Valley companies, hence the name Silicon Valley Bank. So on the same day that Silvergate announced that they were going to be liquidating, 
Silicon Valley Bank came out and surprised investors with news that it needed to raise $2.25 billion to shore up its balance sheet. While this is not necessarily an immediate major concern, it did cause panic, and within 48 hours, depositors withdrew more than $42 billion because it caused a run on the bank. Regulators then seized the bank's assets and closed it on Friday of that same week within 48 hours after being in operations for 40 years. So what happened? That $2.25 billion, that was needed because the bank had been lending money to different companies. They had been putting money out to try and get a return on it. The way that banks work with what's called fractional reserves is that for every dollar that the bank has on deposit, they only need to keep 10 cents. Or think of another way, for every $100 they have in deposits, they only need to hold $10 there at the bank, meaning they can take $90 out of that 100 and lend it out to try and get money. So they might pay you 1% on your savings account, which I know is probably pretty generous. And if they can take that money, the rest of your money on deposit, and earn 5%, they make the difference. That's how banks make their money. What the problem was is since so many of the major clients of Silicon Valley Bank are companies like Pinterest, Shopify, CrowdStrike, ZipRecruiter, Roku, Roblox, Lending Club, some of the biggest funds in the world and crypto players, and also companies like Opendoor, Airbnb, Roofstock, Homebound, Nomad, and Tomo, a few of those names you might recognize, those companies were disproportionately impacted by the market over the last year and by the increase in the Federal Reserve raising the short-term interest rates. So because of that, in order to stay afloat, those companies were pulling money out. They were withdrawing money, so the bank didn't have as much available to them. They also had a hard time because the money they had invested was not returning this amount that they could get somewhere else. When they were initially investing in a mortgage, in, in treasury bonds, the yields on those were very low. So as interest rates increased, those investments became worth a much smaller and smaller amount, and it created this imbalance where they were in trouble, and that's why they needed to raise some additional money to shore up their balance sheet. Had that money been raised and not caused a panic, they probably would have been fine, at least in the short term. But because the types of clientele that were invested here and the types of concerns that this bank had, they were the ones very prone to acting quickly. Because what happens is I think only 7% of people in that bank had deposits of less than $250,000. And that's important because the FDIC insures $250,000 per depositor. If you have more money than that in the bank, you might not be able to access it. So as soon as there was concern, that's why $42 billion got withdrawn because you didn't want to be the last one there holding the bag when the party's over. So problem with it is you've got nearly half of all U.S.-based venture-backed startups keeping money within this bank. And then the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, said that the government will not bail them out. They're looking for options to assist. That same weekend, Signature Bank, which is also a major player in the crypto industry as well as commercial real estate, mostly in New York City, but significantly larger than Silvergate, the first company, it also had its assets seized by regulators on Sunday in a bid to prevent a systematic banking crisis or the spread of this banking crisis. 
Well, this was also a major concern and off, off caused by a lot of the same issues that Silvergate and uh, Silicon Valley Bank were seeing between investing in startups, in the technology space, and in cryptocurrencies. Signature Bank being this kind of spread allowed the Federal Reserve to say, hey, we're not going to only insure $250,000. We are going to insure the entire amount of deposits, citing what they call the emergency lending authority because of potential systematic risk. That basically means this isn't an isolated issue. We think this might be bigger. People are going to be disproportionately impacted. So even though Janet Yellen says technically they're not getting a bailout, which they aren't, well, the government's still helping them in this case. So the good news is that all of those companies who had deposits at the one of these three companies, they're still going to access all of their deposits, and that means everybody gets paid. That would have been the major risk and what caused so much fear is there are thousands and thousands of people that were on payroll that they didn't know if they were going to get paid because those banks had the assets seized. And if only $250,000 is insured, yikes. Most companies had millions, if not billions of dollars on deposit. So Federal Reserve steps in, that, release, that relieves some of the tension there. But anybody who invests in the bank, any shareholders, they are completely out of their money. And those companies who had deposits there or lending there, well, these banks now are basically signaling to the industry, you need to be cautious with these types of companies, with these types of industries in prop tech, in um, you know, Silicon Valley startup type companies, companies that are going to rely heavily on being leveraged, other banks may be less willing to take on that risk now, seeing what this has caused to at least several banks here. So the market really sees this as a shift in momentum, where having these higher interest rates hurting technology and crypto, it means there's likely not going to be as much leverage out there for other companies. Less leverage for other companies means a deflationary impact overall. And that's why we're seeing these fears and concerns start to help mortgage rates. Bond markets and mortgage rates are going to be positively impacted because of this deflationary pressure, the fear that's being caused, and the potential that the Federal Reserve sees these banks as a message saying, you're going too fast. You need to slow down. And so going into next week here, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Federal Reserve responds during their next meeting, where we expect them to potentially raise the Federal Funds Reserve rate. And the estimates are anywhere from half of a percent down to zero now because of these, whereas before this happened, it was almost expected or almost guaranteed they were going to raise at least a quarter of a percent, if not a half of a percent. Now they might not raise it at all. Or they might raise it a quarter and say, we're going to halt for a while, see the effects of this. So what they do and the way that they approach it, how they communicate moving forward on if they're going to wait and see, if they're going to say they're going to continue raising, but wait for more data and information, that's going to really impact the direction that markets take. Because as much as what the actions they take can impact the market for interest rates, what they respond to, how they see the market, how they communicate their expectations is often just as important, if not more important, because that's what markets are going to expect decisions to be based around moving into the future. If the Federal Reserve says, yep, this is part of what we expected, nothing to be concerned about, we're still raising half a percent now and we expect more raises into the future, then that's going to signal to the market either that the Federal Reserve is way out of touch with reality and they're 
they're just completely set on causing more pain first, or they can take it as a sign that the Federal Reserve knows that they don't have a handle on this, knows that inflation's gotten so out of hand that they can't, they can't make any impact on it. Both of those are very concerning for the markets. So interesting to see what happens here. Another thing I want to touch on, and this just happened within the last few days, is Credit Suisse Bank has also been put under pressure this week due to a potential lack of liquidity. And then their largest backer came out saying that they would not help the bank in case they needed. They would not give additional funding to shore them up. So that caused even more concern just a couple of days after these other bank collapses. Now, those fears were again tempered, uh, tempered when the National Swiss Bank, Swiss National Bank was willing to step in and say, we will provide additional liquidity if needed. While this is all happening, the European Central Bank rose their funds, their federal funds rate, half of a percent, completely disregarding the potential risk to other banks for the same thing happening. So while all of this is going on, this is happening in real time. By the time that you're listening to this, this might be a week ago, this might have been happening a month ago, a year ago, and I'm sure it'd be very interesting to look back on how we were anticipating things moving forward, but at least in real time, looking at this right now, companies, governments, and the entire world is trying to navigate through these situations and figure out, okay, what's going on? What do we do with the dual goals of trying to hurt as few people and businesses as possible while trying to decrease inflation because the inflation our federal government believes is the bigger of the two evils. They want to try and reduce inflation as much as possible. So as I promised at the beginning, what does this have to do with you? What do you do as a result of this? Well, the biggest one I'd say is no, for you and your clients, this does not constitute a banking risk for anybody. These particular banks, every single one of their depositors is made whole. They have complete access to their deposits and they're disproportionately impacted because the type of clientele that they serve. I had a client earlier this week ask me if uh, JP Morgan Chase was going to be impacted by this. Absolutely not. They are a massive, massive company. Uh, most companies, again, if, if you've got less than $250,000 in any bank that has FDIC insurance or part of a credit union uh, association insurance, you're going to be absolutely fine. FDIC stepped in and basically said people would have access to their money on Monday when they seized assets on Friday and Sunday. So very, very quickly. So no concerns there. Honestly, there's more good than bad for the majority of people here. Because this fear, the deflationary impact and the messages is sending to the Federal Reserve is something that can help us with lower interest rates, getting back to that deflationary impact, which is going to be helping us moving forward. So the other thing to keep an eye on here, the last piece I'll leave you with, is to watch how this is de helping to de-invert the yield curve. If you're familiar with the idea here, it's that the 10-year and the 2-year Treasury bond yield curve What's the difference between the two? Ordinarily, you get a higher rate of return for investing in longer-term investments, so the 10-year is usually higher than the two-year return. Makes sense. You have a higher level of risk the longer time you invest, so you need more of a, of a yield to offset that risk. Well, when it inverts, it means you get a better yield. You get a better result on your investment investing for two years than you do for 10. 
And the reason for that is because companies and investors believe that things are going to get worse before they get better. So if you invest for the long term, you have less risk than they believe you do in the short term. Usually means it's a very reliable recession indicator. And we've been inverted for nearly a year now. But through all of this happening over the last couple of weeks, it's started to lower the level of inversion. We're not as inverted as we were. And so as soon as we come out of that, the usual time frame between then and the official onset of a recession is somewhere between two and four months. And this is historical, not a prediction, not saying that we're guaranteed going to be there, but it is something to keep an eye on as it happens. Recessions are going to be good for interest rates. And so there's a lot of indicators here showing that interest rates may be lower in the future. Not a guarantee, not something to bet the farm on, but it is a sign that things might be better to come for us specifically in real estate with lower rates to come. Threw a lot at you here. Hopefully, as always, this is helpful. Let me know if you have any additional questions. I wanted this to be useful and helpful understanding without doing a five-hour breakdown on this. So as always, thank you for listening. If you found this helpful, feel free to pass this along. Uh, leave a rating, a review, and let's continue to elevate real estate together. This podcast has been brought to you by Jordan Keck, NMLS number 1017341, branch manager at Advantage Mortgage Incorporated, 5955 Shoreview Lane, North Suite 200, Kaiser, Oregon 97303, company NMLS 1770599, equal housing lender. Jordan Keck is licensed in Oregon, Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Texas, and Washington. Until next time, thanks again for listening.